to another episode of Inside the Recording Studio. I am Jody Whitesides, and with me as always is Mr. Chris Halstrom. How are you today, Chris? I am almost back to 100%, so this has been rough, but I'm very happy about that. Certainly almost all back. How are you doing? I'm doing quite all right. I am not going to complain. Instead, I'm going to ask us to dive right into what is today's topic? Tuning, different instruments. We're going to touch on vocals as well. How to go about tuning different types of instruments. Oh, yeah. And that is Wax Poetically about today. <laughs> so <laughs> we're going to talk about initially just monophonic tuning. Right. Which maybe you should explain what actually is monophonic tuning. What do we mean by that? Monophonic tuning. That type of tuning is a track whether it's a vocal or instrument, that has only one note at any given time. It has no more than one note at any given time. Thus, one note equals monophonic. Very well said. That's what most people think about when we're talking about tuning. It's by far the most common one. Right. Simple melodies or samples, vocal melodies, anything like that. When we're talking about this, I said vocal right off the top, obviously. Mm -hmm. What other kind of things do you tend to tune, if at all? Bass would be the first one, mainly because of the length of the string and how hard a bass player may or may not hit it can cause tuning discrepancies on a micro level, pretty easily. Yeah, and also if you have perhaps intonation issues. Oh, for sure. If there's right? that, you definitely need to fix that. Yeah, and of course, bass being such a foundational instrument in a lot of tracks, it's really important to have that sit properly. So I'm with you on that. When you're talking about bass, you're thinking primarily electric bass, but if we're dealing with acoustic bass, or even like fretless bass, Mm -hmm. that, depending on playing style, will bring in some issues with tuning, don't you think? It certainly can, especially if the bass player's ear is not guiding his fingers as well as it should, is a good way of saying it. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) What I'm alluding to here, when it comes to fretless bass players, it will generally be a certain playing style if you're choosing to use a fretless. Mm-hmm. Perhaps a lot more slides and that kind of thing, transitions between notes. Here we have to be really careful and make sure that we're really only tuning the ending note, if you will. The stop gap. Yes, the, the fundamental pitch that we're trying to arrive at, right? Because mm-hmm. I think you can do a lot of damage tuning that if you're too heavy-handed. Oh, right? yeah. So slap your auto-tune on it and just chromatic, and it's going to sound probably horrible, right? <laughs> so, you know, electric bass, as far as like standard fretted bass, mm-hmm. it's obviously a little bit easier. We still have to pay attention to the, the movement and stuff. Oh, of course. A little bit of an easier job. Any other yeah. instruments that you would do? We can open up a can of worms and start talking about tuning drums and things. Where, you know, a lot of EDM guys or or certainly, you know, we're talking about 808s and things, Uh they're generally tuned to the key of the song. You might be tuned to the third or the fifth or the key of the snare or whatever. But obviously, 808s, 
might go along with a bass line or whatever happens to be. Even tuning elements like snares and things in electronic music can have a big impact. Sure. I don't disagree with that. I would go so far as to also consider, before even recording live drums, tuning those. Yeah, And there are some drummers that are very good at tuning to the key of the song, and there are others that have no concept or clue of this. How do you do it after the fact? That becomes a much more difficult thing in that you might need to replace live drums with samples if you're in that position, even if you can do that. It's also not an easy proposition because the drums are a very short attack-based instrument that their fundamentals are generally a little bit more difficult for most people to hear. Doesn't mean that they don't exist and that they don't add or subtract from a song because of them. It's just they're a little more difficult to deal with. Yeah, absolutely. And I know there are bands that when they're doing certain musical styles or whatever, they might be really anal about tuning to the key of the song, that type of thing. I think Terry Bozio was one of those guys that he was really meticulous, certainly with his toms and things, mm-hmm. right, to, to be tuned to certain pitch. And then, of course, there's the intervals in between the toms themselves. But I've also worked with drummers that don't necessarily have the mindset that, okay, the snare needs to be at this air quote pitch, mm-hmm. right? But as long as they're good at tuning the drums and the drums just sound good and ring and have a natural sound to themselves. That, I think, is arguably more important, at least from my mindset would be. Oh, yeah, for sure. Moving on from drums, any other elements that you would tune? The big ones are obviously the ones that we mentioned to me. uh, Vocals and bass? Vocals and bass are Mm -hmm. the ones that that would get most treatment from my end. Mm -hmm. There is one more element that I don't record or get a whole lot but it's slide guitar mm-hmm. where we're in the sort of same ballpark area now as like fretless bass. Right. Again, that has to be intonated properly to have it sound good, right? So that would be another one where I would definitely reach for some kind of pitching help if it needs it, of course. Right. You know? Again, that comes down to the guitar player's ear and the guidance to the fingers from the ear to the brain to the fingers. Right. Some players, when they're not used to playing slide, might have the mindset that it's the spacing between the frets that makes the pitch, right? Mm. Which is not true. No, it isn't. Yes, of course. It's the actual fret. And our fingers, when we're playing, essentially is shorten off the string Mm -hmm. to give a different pitch. But therefore, when you're playing slide, to have that slide intonated right above the frets Mm-hmm. to get the correct pitch, right? Now, of course, playing style and how heavy your vibrato is and all that kind of stuff goes into that as well. But pitch centers are, are important there. Anything else that you tend to tune, though? I will expand a little bit upon the guitar thing. And just like you mentioned for bass, a lot of it comes down to is the guitar properly intonated? And the other thing that tends to occur quite frequently with a lot of guitar players is how heavy-handed they are with their fingers on the strings and how heavy gauge a string they might be using. Yes. If you are using a light gauge string and you're clamping down like a lot of guitar players tend to do, they overplay, so to speak, in terms of the sheer pressure that they're using on the strings, it will push different strings sharp. 
Now, with a bass player, it's a lot easier to deal with this because it's generally one note at a time that you're working with. With a guitar player, you suddenly have a very different issue. Yes. But the idea here, in terms of tuning, in terms of instruments, and we're talking monophonic at the moment, let's now shift away from the actual instruments that we may be tuning and say, well, how much tuning should we apply in production? Should we just go 20%, 25%, 50%, 80%, 100%? How far out is it and how do you want it to sound is what becomes yeah, that's a guide and an answer to that. That's a really good question. And I think the boring answer is that it depends. Mm -hmm. Now with vocals, let's say lead vocals. Yep. That's something that I tend to be a little bit more precise with. And it would lean probably at least 90% and up a, a correction into pitch center. This depends on also the style of vocal, of course, right? because if it's a little bit more of a soulful thing and it's a great take or whatever, and it just it just sounds good, mm -hmm. right? You might leave that alone. Again, like target notes, I like to have those as precise as possible. There are other instruments when I might not. The thing also comes into play here, I think, is we can start to tune by using our eyes and not our ears. Right. And so that's a problem. It, that is a problem. I remember doing that when I'm, you know, I first got Melodyne version one or whatever, and I was playing with that, and it's like, yeah, look, that's right in center, and then it doesn't sound right, right? Mm -hmm. So you have to you have to listen to that properly. And another thing that I would suggest is consider that most people can probably not hear if something is within ten cents sharp or flat. Right. Now, if you're, if you're Let's explain that real quick, though. Oh, yeah, go ahead. Sense. People are like, well, what is sense? In the note-to-note -note definition, from a sharp to a natural to another sharp or a flat to a natural to another flat, there is a division of that note, mathematically speaking, that pretty much all entities that create software to deal with pitch break that down into, and that is by sense. And to get from one note to the next is 100 cents. In between each half step of note. In between each half step of note, which is a minor second. Yeah, that's a good explanation. I mean, that, that's, I assume that people would know that, which was wrong. I mean, I shouldn't <laughs> do that. But yeah, so like slight pitch variations there. And also, you, you mentioned guitars, mm -hmm. right? How heavy we hit guitars or, sure. or even bass. Here's an experiment that you can do if mm -hmm. you're watching yourself and you're, you're recording and you're tracking guitars, is to put a tuner on your track or even just plug your guitar into a tuner, it doesn't really matter, and then play and notice how the attack will always go sharp. Mm -hmm. And depending on how heavy-handed you are and how you're playing, you need to take that into consideration, of course, when you're tuning your instrument, right, to yes. make sure that you're close to pitch center as possible. Now that you've just mentioned that with a guitar player or any other player that has an instrument and they can play a note and watch it on a tuner, the idea that you were talking about just before I cut you off to explain the idea of sense and how far out they can go is can people really hear those slight discrepancies of anywhere from zero to 10 cents 
of movement in a pitch. If you do this long enough and you learn what to listen for, You'll hear those it. things get easier to pick out mm -hmm. when you hear that oh, something is not right. Mm -hmm. It could even be the you know the layperson that has no training or really just passively listening to music. They can hear that something might sound odd, but they don't necessarily know what it is. Right. But those small discrepancies, I would say, I mean, 10 cents when we're looking at it and we're listening to it in relation, sort of like an isolation against something else, uh -huh. it can be jarring. My point that I wanted to get into with that is that we don't have to necessarily always strive to 100% right. in tune. And it may not always be desirable. Right. In that regard. There is that too. Yeah. One of the so, things that probably should also be pointed out if you're going about the concept of tuning an instrument or a vocal is not only when you mentioned the target pitch, but also the transition between notes that happens. Yeah. If you start tuning those, weird things can happen. And that's where we get the whole share and T-Pain effect of auto-tune, you're not really doing any of the tuning. You're just throwing auto-tune on something at 100% to hear what kind of weird, wacky pulls it's going to do on transitional notes. Definitely. And that's something that we just, we're talking about, the speed of hitting the, the target pitch. Right? Mm -hmm. And those, if you're dealing with a graphical thing like Melodyne or Auto-Tune or something. Or Repitch or Revoice. Whatever you're using, right? Mm -hmm. You have to pay attention to those and not get too aggressive because that's where a lot of the humanity lives, I think. Not only we humanity, but if you start to pull it too far, again, you get that effect that everybody for a while was jumping on board with. Or you can go for the completely robotic sound. Yeah, there is that. Another thing on, on this similar note that I was retuning is a lot of these now have the capability of taming vibrato or even mm -hmm. exaggerating vibrato. Yeah. What's your thought on that? Let's say that we're dealing with, well, vocal would be the obvious example. So I guess we'll go with vocal. But if you have that, is that something that you ever go in and mess around with or try to tame or exaggerate? In very few cases have I gone in to deal with that. Generally speaking, there was one artist I worked with at one point who couldn't not do a ridiculous fluttery vibrato. And it was detrimental. Mm, yeah. I had to go in and flatten that stuff out because it just didn't work at all. And yeah. then I've also had the exact opposite where there was an artist that had the inklings of a great vibrato, but it wasn't quite developed enough and you could exaggerate it a little bit and it would help. Those tools can be useful if you know what you're looking for as a producer or a mix engineer to add and enhance to or remove because it's detracting from the overall production. The only time I would generally touch that is like you're describing it. It's something that takes away from the track. Mm -hmm. It's very akin to a guitar player having too fast of a vibrato where it just sounds like a buzzing bee. Sure. You know, and, and it's just like, oh, please don't do that. You know, <laughs> do it again. When it comes to vocals, I tend to tame those more than I would exaggerate them. 
And it's just because, to me, it sounds more musical doing it that way. Sure. If somebody needs to have a little bit more vibrato in their performance, it's always better to catch those at the performance level. I think it's easier to to tame stuff and have it sound natural. However, that being said, too, is like you got to make sure that you're not too heavy-handed with this because although we have tools that can do it, it's very easy that it starts sounding like just a synth instead of just like a tamed vocal. Yeah, vibrato, we gotta be careful with that as well. All right, let's move on from the whole monophonic thing and get a little bit more in depth with other types of tuning where it's polyphonic. And that means you can have more than one note going at the same time, i.e. chords or overlapping notes on an arpeggio. This is, when the really interesting stuff starts happening, I oh, think. Yeah. I believe we have talked about this before, but as far as I know, it was Salomone with Melodyne that were first to be able to actually do this. Right. And I want to say probably early 2000, something like that, where we can actually go in and detect individual notes and pitches in a chord. Or an entire recording, for that matter. That's a lot of power. It is. So we'll use it for good or for evil. (laughs) (laughs) But this is great. I mean, now we can do things that you mentioned at the top that that guitar player that is a little bit too excited in the studio and starts gripping the neck too tightly and bending things sharp, like in a chord. We can now go in and fix that. Yep. I don't think there is another software out there that can do it. I might be wrong, but I I think, don't know of any other that does it like to that extent that Melodyne does. Right. It's And it's not it's even a, all versions of Melodyne. It's their full-blown version that you have to have in order to be able to do that. Yeah. It's a really, really powerful tool. Obviously, not just for guitars, but any sort of polyphonic instrument, like if mm-hmm. it's piano or Rhodes or synth or something that is in MIDI, vocal ensembles yep. can do this with. So if you have like three people singing or whatever, and Johnny is a little bit flat on this note, you can actually <laughs> go in and and tweak that, mm-hmm. which is amazing. It is. It's absolutely astounding. The selling point that they started with this, I believe, when they released it was another avenue that we might not think about so much today when we had all these sample libraries with loops and things Mm -hmm. where there might have been a performance of some sort you can now go in and tweak those so say that the original loop that you had was in a major key now you can go in and and adjust that so it might be like a minor melody or something instead so it, it can do a lot more mileage out of those things as well I seem to recall when it first came out that people were taking it to use against things like old Motown recordings and other things to correct discrepancies in those recordings. And then you go listen to it and you're like, ew, (laughs) because you're just so used to hearing the the discrepancy that it grows on you to an extent. Yeah. I mean, especially if you're talking about that Motown and stuff, that that would almost be like sacrilegious to try to tune any of that, right? (laughs) Right. Because it's so baked in and it's the vibe and everything there. So again, using caution just because you can doesn't mean that you should, right? Right. Well, the big problem that ends up happening is you take an instrument like a guitar and it's 
being pounded out of tune, whether it's intonation or the guitar players playing, and you start to tune it too much, it can yeah. start to sound completely unnatural and aspects to what makes it sound like a guitar makes it end up sounding like a synthesizer instead. Yes. It almost gets that early sampled guitar kind of vibe to it, <laughs> right? right? Mm -hmm. And it's just like, okay, that's a piano player playing guitar because it's not the right inflection. It's those imperfections in the performance and the, the nature of the instrument itself right. that makes it sound like, well, that's a guitar, right? right? And those are really, really important. I recently did some stuff for a project for you mm -hmm. where you had some old recordings of electric guitars yes. that you asked me to take a look at. And I discovered there, you know, we were talking about percentages and how hard you're hitting stuff. Right. If I went anywhere over 50% of tuning this, it lost all counts of impact. Mm -hmm. So it's like, no, I had to keep it low. It's like, in fairness to the parts that you gave me, they were not very out. It no, wasn't they like, weren't far out at all. <laughs> it were little things in you being you know, having the ear that you do and being neurotic as you are about all things audio, they just needed to be massaged a little bit. Right. I realized if I, anything I did there when I went over 40% pitch correction, it started falling apart. Mm -hmm. And even with one that you just gave me that I was working with earlier today, <laughs> I went back to the original, listened to it, went back to the tuned version, listened to it as I am going back and forth going, I'm going to stick with the original on this because the impact that it made, as low as it was that you did, caused the guitar to lose its all of its impact, which is really weird. Yeah. The other ones in the same song were in, they were fine, but one particular guitar was like, ew, nope, got to go back to the original on that. It doesn't work. Yeah. So you have to have that hat on for when you're doing these things to be very aware if, if it's overdoing it, even if you're tuning 20% and it's messing it up, you got to just yeah, say, then don't, nope, don't do it. Yeah, right. And I think it has a lot to do with what you mentioned before, when you're hitting the strings and they go sharp, mm -hmm. right? As you're hitting the instrument, you're now correcting for those. So it starts just pulling it in and you lose that initial transient that makes it sound like a natural guitar. Right. It's like, oh, it's going to go a little sharp and that's just what a guitar sounds like. I would say anything else that we do in this vein, right? I've been tuning all these things out. The context is everything. Very much so. That's, that's me going back after you did something that didn't need a lot of it in the first place. And I'm listening to it going, this didn't help. Nix that yeah. one. So sorry right. for the extra work, but yes. <laughs> yeah, but it's like all those slight little discrepancies that you have, that mm -hmm. also ends up adding size and girth to to the part right assuming it's not like crazily out of tune right mm -hmm. if we think about and this is my favorite way to sort of describe this and get people to think about it how when we use two oscillators on a synth it's very common to detune one of them ever so slightly and it just adds girth to it as opposed to just being another s signal on top of another signal right whether you're doing that with piano player or a guitar or a choir type of a thing, we have to be careful with those pitch centers and how much we're doing it because 
you might do more harm than you do good. Oh, for sure. And one thing to also note with doing this and coming across the concept of tuning instruments or tuning vocals or whatever it is you're tuning, oftentimes it's not the tuning that is the bigger impact. It could be how sloppy the rhythmic value is on things and how tight all the interacting instruments are with each other. You can get much bigger impact with timing corrections usually than you do with pitch correction, unless it's drastically out. Absolutely. And that's something that I very conscious about when you get like multi-track vocals and things, Mm -hmm. especially if it's like um, choir stuff, background vocals or or whatever. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, you can probably get away with a fair bit of being out of tune as long as the timing is spot on. Sure. And that has more of an impact at that point where you start noticing if like, okay, did you hear that second chorus? The One of the singers held the note a little bit too long or was early coming in or something. Those have more of an impact to me than the pitch. Mm-hmm. Sure, the pitch needs to be good, but the timing I think is way more important in that instance. So what is your procedure to deciding to tune? Always listen through first. Mm -hmm. If something is not sounding right, I will go in and do it. It's not something that I reach for immediately. Like, oh, everything gets tuned. No, it's if something is bothering me. Yeah. I might check certain things that say that bass that we talked about. If something doesn't feel like, oh, it doesn't feel like it has the impact, you might fly it into Melodyne or something, or you see, oh, yeah, we're a little bit flat on this note. Or when he goes up to the 10th fret and plays on the E string, he plays that D up there. The intonation issues, those kind of things. But I won't tune stuff unless I have to. And when you have to, it's generally vocals. Right. What about you? What's your procedure? Same mindset. However, the difference is now with the anal, as you mentioned, nature that I have, I make darn sure that things are generally tuned before every take. And that can frustrate people with instruments. It's oh, not you the mean that's in like tuning your guitar? Tuning your again. guitar, tuning oh, your sure. bass, yeah, yeah, tuning yeah. those things. Yeah. Doing those tunings before every take. Some people would be like, every take? It's like, yeah, especially if strings are new or if something isn't working right, you need to tune every time. And that's crazy to some people, but that's how you avoid a need to be tuning on the back end. You get it right up front. With vocals, it's obviously a bit different because you can't tune a vocalist, so to speak, on their way. It'd be well, great if you could. It'd be, be, <laughs> it would be great if you could tune the vocalist by just grabbing a side of their neck and twisting it and <laughs> tuning it sharper, flat, or whatever is needed. Obviously, that's impossible. That's why most people think about tuning vocals. It's not something you can instantly tune before you start recording. As you're saying that when you're tracking, it's one of those things that you can, as the performer, unless you're seasoned enough, you can get so lost in the moment that you're just playing. And then it's like, oh, you know what? We have that great take, Mm -hmm. uh, but unfortunately you're out. You're out of tune. Do it again. And Well, you can say that or... You can hopefully fix it if it's not something that's too ridiculously out there. Yeah, that's, that's true. I mean, fix the old band. But it's always better to, like you said, get, get it, it right on the source. way in. 
Absolutely. With that, we'll move on to our Friday finds. Chris, what have you got this week? I have gotten something that is actually not music related. Mm. And I hesitate to call it sort of self-help because I don't like that term. We're just in the new year and a lot of people are thinking about improving themselves or just trying to have less anxiety or stress in their life and performing anxiety perhaps. There's a website called dailystoic.com that has a lot of good advice of how to perhaps think of things a little bit differently and different mindset when it comes to challenges in our life. I thought I'd share that with people that might be looking for something when they have certain things that they just want to be a better person. So dailystoic.com is my Friday find. And you, Jody, you're going back on the gear train here. So what, what you got? I'm going with an SSL item, the Solid State Logic G3 Multibus Compressor. That's right, people. SSL has taken the G Series bus compressor and repackaged it into a multi-band version with three bands, a low band, a mid band, and a high band, which allows you to compress different parts of your signal, saturate different parts of your signal with a G-Bus compressor without having to set up three different channel strips with EQ <laughs> curves going into it prior <laughs> to doing it. So that's kind of a nice thing. Let's go Absolutely. with a big yeah. two thumbs up on the SSL G3 multi-bus compressor. Woohoo! While we've got your attention, we ask that you go to InsideTheRecordingStudio.com and sign up for our mailing list. You'll need to be on our email list to be eligible for any future giveaways. And we'll make sure you don't miss any future episodes of this incredible podcast. Send us an email at goldstar, G-O-L-D-S-T-A-R, at InsideTheRecordingStudio.com with the word tuning. And you'll get something cool back in your inbox. If you have a topic or suggestion for Chris and I to explain in a future episode, contact us at the contact page and we'll put it into consideration for a future episode. With that, I'll say see you next week. Happy New Year, everybody. Thanks for listening. I'll talk to you later, Jody. Jody.